0: Welcome to the Jewish Boston and Israel 360 podcast. I'm Miriam Ansipan, and I'm here with Dan Seligson. Hi, Miriam. Hi, Dan. There are many fascinating accounts of people who have decided to pick up and trek across a country or trail in the wilderness to help them process something in their lives or make a change in themselves. Cheryl Stray, who hiked the Pacific Crest Trail here in America, comes to mind, as does Robin Davidson, who crossed Western Australia with four camels and a dog.
1: And we met a guy today named Udi Gorin. Actually, we met him before, but this is the first time we've had him on the podcast. Udi did the Israel Trail, which runs from the Lebanese border all the way in northern Israel, all the way down to the Egyptian border in the Negev. It's 683 miles. Udi did it in two and a half months, along with a hiking partner and his very heavy camera bag. Udi was, in fact, the first professional photographer to walk and document the entire Israel Trail. We have him with us today to talk about his experience, to tell us about the new book that he did, and we will be sharing online some of the photographs that he took at jewishboston.com and israel360.org. Welcome, Udi.
0: In an article in 2016, you said that for this trek across Israel, you quote, left the country of Israel and went to travel the land of Israel. What did you discover about the land that you as a citizen of the country hadn't known or felt before?
2: I think it really has to do with what I've felt at the time. Um, It was the, the reason that I've set out on the trail was as the country was getting prepared to going into war with Gaza, having been to war, a year before, or two years before, Um, this was really the everyday reality. Friction, conflict, a lot of instigating, a lot of um, negative emotions floating around. And what I had to do by leaving the country, I mean by leaving politics and mainstream media and, and going to see the land is actually going on the ground and meeting the people. And when I've done that, this... When I've done that, that had made the connection that I was looking for to this land. Because I have met along the trail people from minorities, Israeli, Arabs, Bedouin, Druze, settlers, ultra-Orthodox, and the... And the personal encounters, the unmediated personal encounters, were always positive. All of my experiences along the trail with the personal encounters were positive, one after another. Hospitality, people taking care of me, people that, you know, if we were to meet on Facebook would probably argue our minds off, hosted me, gave me food discussed what I was doing, showed interest, and really took care of me. And this was the major difference. So I think what I've taken from it, um, maybe the most important lesson that I had about people on the trail, is that you just have to meet face-to-face. This is the biggest change one can make when forming an opinion or just... When wanting to learn about something, face-to-face encounters.
1: So let me um, kind of take it back to the the very beginning of your trip. The trail is about seven hundred, eight hundred miles long. Uh, it's
2: six hundred and ninety.
1: Okay, miles. you start almost at the Lebanese border. Yep, and you end
2: the Egyptian border the in, Egyptian in border. the Taba border crossing.
1: Do you, at any point, do you go on the other side of the Green Line, or you stay mostly within the pre. 67 borders as it's called
2: so the trail on purpose was designed to stay out of conflict areas and this is why it doesn't go to the hermon to the very edge of the country because it's also disputed this was uh it's a part of the golan so you start in the galilee uh, and you never cross the green line you go very close there's one town on the way called sansana which is actually halfway half settlement half so it's the green line crosses in the middle of it and and we've stayed there so this is why i say we've met everyone along the trail um but on purpose the um, on purpose the israel trail stays within the green line recently uh this year actually they've decided to or they haven't decided yet but the government has an initiative led by, um, led by uh, a field school in, the, in Gush Etzion, um, in the territories, that they would like to expand the Israel Trail and make it go through the territories which is something that was actually very controversial. Um, The original initiative was to create another Israel Trail, so the Eastern Israel Trail, to go through the territories. And if people wanted to take it, they could, and if they didn't, they didn't have to. And then this year, the government said that they were going to expand and make it a part of the trail.
1: This year? Yeah, yeah. What a coincidence. A a few months ago,
2: yeah. (laughs) Um, So I... um uh,
1: you, you, you started in the Galilee, which you mentioned in one of your blogs is thick, aggressive forest and not great footing, a lot of rocks. Um, I'm kind of wondering about the the trail system itself. I read this amazing book by Bill Bryson called A Walk in the Woods mm-hmm. about the Appalachian Trail. Have yeah. you read it? Watch the movie. Okay. You should definitely read it as well. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I, I'm curious as far as... um. You know, the the Appalachian Trail has a system of huts and places where you can, you know, put your stuff down and put a sleeping bag down. Nothing fancy, but you know, just some support along the way. Israel being a much smaller country, maybe you're always gonna be going through a town or something, but when you go along this nearly seven hundred mile trail, are there are there ways in which you can refuel sleep in a you know, with a roof over your head, or was it really
2: roughing it? So the the biggest advantage of the Israel Trail is that because Israel is so small, you're never too far from a town or a grocery store or a kibbutz or whatever. Um, so if you wanted, you could stay on the trail, camp out every day, rough it. Um, or alternatively you can always deviate and walk you know another mile or so and walk to the nearest um, kibbutz or moshav or town or just find a gas station where you could find your supplies the only part where you really really have to rough it out is the negev once you cross arad to the south then from Arad south there's only four other towns and this is a third of the trail so you oh. have like three weeks left so you got to be ready you, you have to be, to be totally ready so, exactly
1: so when you I'm, I'm gonna I, we're gonna get to other questions but I just no, have ahead. so many detailed questions for do you because up, this Dan. is the kind of thing I want to do with my life go on this trail mm-hmm. um, do you have to bring everything with you because obviously the the Weather in the Galilee and the weather in the Negev despite Israel being a pretty small country is completely different You're in a totally different climate. Do you have all of that stuff in your bag? Like do you got your Galilee shoes and your Negev shoes? <laughs> you have your your Galilee coat and your Negev shorts? Like is it all there on your back from uh, the beginning?
2: So the answer is yes um, impressive the, okay. because the weather does change dramatically and um, It's actually much more moderate in the Galilee, both in the spring and in fall, depending on when you leave. But in both times of year, it doesn't vary that much. It can rain, so you need a raincoat. But it wouldn't get that cold or that hot. However, when you reach the desert, then if you're there in fall time or winter time, then nighttime could be very close to freezing. Whereas in the daytime, you're walking in your shorts and short sleeves. Um, so, yeah, so you take all of it with you. Some people, again, this is maybe the biggest difference from the Appalachian Trail is that, you know, in, on, the, on the Israel Trail, you can always call your mom and ask her to get your stuff. And it takes her like an hour and a half, wherever you are, to get it. Um, So this is a huge advantage that you could actually, you know, go ahead of time, leave stuff somewhere. Um, So if you, if you wanted, so for example, we started out with a tent on our backs uh, with a bunch of gear that we didn't need for the Galilee, which we've left at a friend's house and then just later picked it up. Um, The friend brought it to my parents and then when we got to central Israel, we got it back and then we took it with us. So this is a big advantage that Israel has.
0: So you talked a bit about how you met different people from different walks of life in Israel. Um, I'm interested to know about the wildlife you met as well. Uh, What were some of the most incredible or adorable uh, animals you saw? And also, did you have any uh, scary encounters with wildlife on the trail?
2: So sadly, Israel doesn't really have big wildlife anymore, large animals um, or large mammals. We do have uh, larger antelopes. We have ibexes um, that are very skittish, so on first sight they run away. Um, Lots of deer, which was wonderful to see because actually deer are a sign of a healthy ecosystem. So seeing them in the Negev, seeing them on the hills of Jerusalem was, was wonderful. One of the, in in, coming down from the hills of Jerusalem towards the Valley of Elah, we set out very early in the morning and it was probably six thirty, seven a.m. where all of a sudden we saw maybe 15 of them just hurting. Um, they saw us, you know, probably a quarter of a mile away and as soon as they did they ran away Uh, but that was that was great because it actually feels like being you know out in nature Um, the most close-up encounter we had was in um, on a campground way out in the desert where there was a fox that learned that whenever there are humans there there's a chance to find food so he was just walking around our tent sniffing around paying absolutely no attention to us um, we, we could get very close to him obviously you don't pet him you don't get too close but with a camera of course i wanted to get kind of close um and so so this was super cute it was just like you know a little dog looking for food um did and you th- have a bird was there a bird that Right. And the most intimate encounter I did have. So, you know what, I can't skip, I can't, I can't pass over this question without saying something about birds, because the most animals you see are birds, the most uh, prevalent, because if you set out in spring or in fall, which is usually when people set out on trail, it's migration season. And in each season, there are half a billion birds, that fly over Israeli sky.
1: I I may have read that that's the most of any place. This area gets the most migratory birds of any place on the planet.
2: Second second largest after Panama because it sees the migration between the two Americas. That's amazing. Yeah. So Israel, this tiny... Right. So all the birds that fly from Africa to Europe and do their way back have to fly over Israeli sky so within a two months or three months period we get all these birds um, so you see birds all the time and then in the in the and then the picture that Dan was referring to is when we were in the Negev there was a beautiful bird that Sadly, I don't know what it's called in English, Uh, sitting on a branch on on a little twig. And I got I started getting closer and closer to it to take its picture. And, you know, I would walk two, three steps, take a picture, walk a couple more steps, take a picture. And then as I was maybe four feet away, all of a sudden it flew away. But instead of flying away, it flew towards me, landed on my backpack stood there just for enough time for me to give the camera to Rotem, my travel partner. She, were, she was able to snap two pictures, and then it flew away. So that became my profile photo. Of my th- This is the, my photo of the trail, me and the bird on my back.
1: That's awesome.
2: Um, so a lot of
1: American young adults have seen, Jewish young adults have seen Israel. Uh, mostly by bus and mostly 10 days at a time. Um, what, do you, what do you miss? And what, what's kind of the coolest place that you discovered because you took the Israel Trail on foot rather than the usual bus tour or kind of the, you know, whatever, train or one place to
2: one place just to see an attraction? There were several places along the trail where I said where I said to myself, or actually said it out loud to Rotem, my travel partner, I can't believe I didn't know this place. And I travel Israel, I love hiking, I go outdoors quite often, and there were several places that I didn't I didn't even hear about. More so there were actually types of landscapes that I didn't I wasn't aware that existed in Israel some places that are very similar to southern utah northern northern arizona the big parks um, which we have those so i would say there are two spots where i clearly clearly remember saying this and one is this outlook up north called Mitspe'elot, the Elot outlook and it's an outlook you climb up a mountain you need to to cross a ridge, and the highest point is this outlook, and from it you see pretty much all the way to northern Israel. You see the Golan, you see the upper Galilee, on a good day you can see Mount Hermon, and then right below you see the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, you're right over the Jordan Valley, so you see the Jordan River starts winding down from the Kinneret south towards the Dead Sea. And this is just spectacular. This is royal. And so this was definitely one place. The other place was in the Eilat mountain range, which is Israel's most southern mountain range, where you have these colorful mountains, colorful pillars, crazy rock formations, amazing colors, and... And those were just places, you know, you walk down in this, it's like a movie set. On, on your left, there's a pink mountain, and then there's a purple mountain, and then there's this huge yellow rock. And, and this was an area that I didn't even know existed in Israel.
1: Let's How? go. Let's go now. Yeah, let's, let's go. <laughs> go. Let's leave testing Boston and go. I'd take you there. <laughs> it's about to snow.
2: Let's get yeah. out of here.
0: How did the walk help you understand what's amazing about Israel and what challenges remain?
2: I think, uh, uh, wow, Good I know, question. that's a big question. <laughs> the walk really helped me gain perspective. And this is true for myself, for my personal life, but this is also true for me living in Israel. And it helped me remember that... And it it helped me remember, without going into the politics and the, the bias of media, that what you hear and what you see is not necessarily reality. It's just a part, sometimes a small part, of reality. And I think that the and i think that what it really helped me do is find my place in israel in spite of still being unsatisfied with its politics a lot of times there's a lot of friction it's i'm still struggling with coming to terms with with a lot of problems that we have like a lot of other countries have problems but this is my country and this is you know what the place that i care about and and a lot of times I would get very very frustrated, still I would get frustrated, but what it helped me remember is that if you go out, if you actually go out, if you meet people, if you take action, if you, and that's for me personally, if you just go outside and walk a little bit, then it reminds me of why i care about this place why i love this place why this place is important to me and how i can actually put things in perspective where i can find the great things that ha- are happening there the great people that i can meet and and also the and also it helps me get away from the tensions in in the sense of you know especially facebook that is now you know the public um the the public square where you fight with everyone and argue with everyone and then if you just go and meet the same person then then it, it completely changes the it, your notion of them it completely changes the interaction and I think this is, the, this is the biggest thing that I take from it is you have to go out. You have to see things for yourself. You have to meet the people. You have to tread the land in order to really understand what it is.
1: So being that this is Israel and, you know, the Jewish state, um, we think of spirituality as, uh, some of us think of spirituality as limited to Jerusalem. Parts of the Galilee Hebron, you know, places where there are you know, spiritual markers of Judaism based on things that happened there, but along the trail, did you find places that were for you spiritually, or if you're not into that, powerful in
2: some other way
1: for you that you just felt there's something here?
2: Absolutely. What happens on the trail after you've walked for about, I would say, a week and a half or two weeks, something changes. When when you're constantly outdoors, constantly in immediate contact with nature. And this is the biggest difference between going out for a one-day hike or a two-day hike or even a four-day hike than being outdoors day after day after day and getting more and more in touch or even getting more and more in tune with your surroundings is that you really start... To connect with it and you really start to get the feel of the place so let's say when we were in the Galilee it was very easy to understand why the legend of Rabbi on Bar Yochai that he sat under a tree for I think 14 years and lived off of caribs and water and came up with Kabbalah and, and you know became this righteous person When you're there, it's very easy to understand how he did it or why he did it or why this place lured him to do this. Um, And I think more so, so I, I love the Galilee. The north is beautiful, but really what speaks to me is the desert. And when you reach the desert, when you're kind of, I would say, towards the, the Elat mountain range, so in the Timna Valley, around that area, where not many people go, you see very, very few hikers, hardly any villages, you, you don't really meet anyone. And you're faced with these immense landscapes. You know, it, the, the, there aren't that many places in Israel when you can see so far into the horizon and when you're at a vantage point in that area you see for miles and miles ahead and it's quiet and you see hardly any signs of humans and here and there you would see a deer and you would see and and it's very natural still it's it's very intact and the immensity and the beauty and the huge processes that took place there so you see things that you know if you read for a little bit and you see all right so this formation on my right was created in the past 50 million years and it puts it puts you in perspective it gives you some humility this is this really is it and i think for me at least humility is an entry point to contemplating about life, about what's important, without when you don't feel that you're the center of the universe, you actually have time to be critical and to be more open to change and true self-exploration.
0: Dan, when you went to Israel, I know that you've told me in the past that the desert is what really connected with you as well you love the desert do you yeah, feel the same though. I yeah. do know
1: it's it's the color it's the absence of sound it's I don't know it's just amazing I the Ramon crater we were supposed to take a 30 minute walk to dinner and it ended up being like three and a half hours and everybody was kind of a little panicky because we only had about eight ounces of water each but it was the most amazing hike because the sun was going down then we get to this place where there are telescopes to look at the stars and it was just one of the most memorable nights I've ever had just being in the desert I'm sure I'm sure let's how about let's talk about some some of the people that you met um who who are the the two or three people that really stood out that you um maybe didn't expect to meet or didn't expect to get along with or have dinner with or have a drink with or whatever
2: um I would mention I would mention two people. Um, the first was the very first the very first day of the trail. Uh, we were walking through the um, the Sneer Nature Reserve, the Sneer Creek, and there was a school from Modiin that was there the teachers were there and and the students were there and we just started speaking to them and they saw the big backpacks they asked a lot of questions and one of the teachers told us that she lives very close to the trail and if we actually make it there she'd be happy to host us and now Modiin is about a month and a half away from where we were and and it was Totally natural to her to say this. As soon as she heard what she, what we were doing, she she said, "Yeah, if you if you get to Mudin, you can stay at my house." And we did. We ended up getting to Mudin. We ended up giving her a call. She was super thrilled to hear from us. Made us an amazing dinner. Let us stay in her house with, and and we got to meet her family, her husband, her kids, and. And I don't take this for granted at all, even though a lot of people would think, yeah, Israel, you know, Israelis are so hospitable and are so warm, and they are. But this is a step beyond, you know, meeting a complete stranger and only on the account of them doing this trek, you trust them, you want to help them, and you keep your word. And it was. I was very touched by this. It happened over and over again, by the way, throughout this trail. But this was like our first experience with this. So it was very memorable. So this was one. And the other one was when we... The other one was actually an entire day where we were by the Tavor Mountain. Throughout that day, from the Tavor all the way a little further from Natsrat Elit, Upper Nazareth, you pretty much walk through either Bedouin or Israeli-Palestinian villages. And I had no expectations. I, I, you know, it was a very, very tense time in Israel. There were... Not only the conflict with Gaza, but also at the same time, there were a lot of things happening in Jerusalem. So a very, very tense time. And I, I don't think I was intimidated in any way, but I didn't expect anything from anyone. And in every single village that we passed on that day, we were in, we were greeted with amazing hospitality. So the first village in Shibli... We were invited for breakfast with a woman that just saw us, and we asked her to fill up our water bottles. And she set her, she set us down for breakfast on her porch. Um, and then later, we went through another village. And we went to this restaurant owned by um, by Israeli Palestinians. And at the end, not only did we sit there and had this great conversation, but at the end, we had to argued to, to let us pay for what we ate. And then the last place was another uh, Israeli-Palestinian village that we went into this stationary shop to buy a notepad and the owner would just not let us leave. He took us, he set us down for coffee and offered us food and took us into his house to tell us about his family history and about the village and made sure that we were okay and that we knew the way and wanted to take care of us. And just this entire day was full of these amazing encounters where we really didn't expect any of them. We're
1: going to have photos, right? Yeah, of all of these. Okay, good good i want to see these people that we're talking about because it just sounds fascinating um i want to i want to go back to equipment because you know i'm obviously prepping to do this myself uh you are a photographer professional photographer yes and part of your trip and we see the book that we're going to talk about in a couple minutes um part of the goal of this trip was to take photos along the way Absolutely. You had said you were the first professional photographer to do the whole thing?
2: First professional, still photographer, to so, walk the whole thing consecutively.
1: And that was an extra 10 pounds of gear that you had, or how much were you carrying because of
2: this? I would say a little bit more. Wow. Probably around 12. Yeah, I carried. So all your
1: stuff, then 12 pounds for camera gear? Yeah. I guess it's more of a observation than a question I guess but you know that so we now all have cameras on our phones and some of them are pretty good uh as a photographer um what would you say to people who go to places like this relying entirely on their iPhone 8 (laughs) to (laughs) photograph amazing landscapes rather than
2: rather than a real a real setup I would say just decide what's important to you. Because for me, it was a constant struggle between being there and documenting it. Yeah. And I think it took me probably about three weeks to find the balance and to be able to say, all right, this is, I don't need this picture or I only need two pictures of this and then I can be present. And I would say if you don't really have any major intentions for these photos, then, then sure, go ahead and experience it. I think experiencing is, you know, in the long run as a human being is more important than documentation or than having a selfie and posting it to Facebook. Um, on the other hand, if you are actually... You know, if you really want to, if you want proper pictures, if you want to have a variety of the scenes, if you want to have the capability of actually documenting what you see in the best way possible, you have to carry a setup. But it comes with a cost, not only the weight, but also the time. And also, it means you're away from the experience for a while and you're just documenting and you have to give a time and you have to focus, put your focus there. So I would really say it kind of depends on what you aim to do. And um, luckily, in terms of weight specifically, now more and more, you can actually get great setups, mirrorless cameras. Um... That way far less and have great quality um so at least in in terms of weight you can actually balance it out a little bit
1: yeah i get being present is such a huge thing i it's such a balance when you travel to be like i want to capture this so i remember that i did it but then to live it while you're in it because you only get to do it once you know you only i mean you could probably do it again if you want to but you only get to do it the first time
2: once. Absolutely, and you just want to be there for it. Yeah. Absolutely, my my travel partner Rotem, she is she's amazing in many ways, but she was really an inspiration for me to see what being present means, because I always default to documenting. You know i have I always have a camera at hand. I always want to capture the moment or capture the experience and it really was a learning experience to see her to to speak about this and to really find the balance because I did want this to be a meaningful experience, not just you know a great collection of photos
0: so what's um other key advice not just equipment but for somebody who wants to do something like this like dan clearly does uh, a trip either in in israel or in their own countries what's some key advice that you can give somebody about how to prepare and um, get ready for something like this
2: number one get good shoes good socks good underwear my number one advice and test them all out before you go on the trail. This is the most important thing in the world. We saw people that were in misery, hiking in the most amazing landscapes, and either their shoes didn't fit them, or the backpack didn't fit them because they borrowed from a friend, and they were just in, in pain, literally in pain, instead of enjoying the amazing places they were in so this is really the number one tip number two is get in shape you don't have to be in perfect shape to you know walk the hardest days immediately but at least be prepared for you know depending on which trail it is but to walk the 10 plus miles a day with gear on your back and um You know, and not get injured right away or not um, be at a point where you don't enjoy the hike. One of the statistics I've heard, I don't know if it's confirmed that I've heard. The people who start from southern Israel, which the southern, the negative part, is much more difficult, considerably more difficult. You have to carry more water. Logistics is more complicated. Um, And and the the hiking days themselves are much more difficult. Uh, Lots of ups and downs, longer days. So the statistics I've heard is that about 50 percent of people Mm. stop the hike when they reach um, the Ramon crater, which is... You know, about thirty or forty percent of the way, because of injuries, Mm -hmm. and if you start from the north, you kind of ease in to the trail. It's still not easy, but you you have a lot more time to get um, get accustomed to it. So that would be my number two tip. Um, I wouldn't leave it at two because it's not a good number. So my number three, (laughs) um, don't overplan have enough time to be present so you don't have to rush through you don't have to race the clock you don't have to finish at a a certain date or or if you do maybe plan to not reach you know reach a little bit before you don't have to finish the trail you don't have like it's not a contest because there is The most meaningful experience is when you have time to be present outdoors, for me at least. Um, And if you're not there, I mean, I've seen people that were there to to kind of do it, to check mark. And they would do, you know, 40Ks, so 25, 30 miles a day. Because um, they wanted to say, "All right, we've done it in thirty days," where everyone takes two months, and maybe they enjoyed it. Maybe that was their thing, but for sure, they missed out on the little things, on seeing flowers blossom, on watching and uh, watching ants like do their thing, which is an amazing thing to stare at. Um, picking herbs that grow. Wild And making tea and sitting in front of a mountain and drinking tea from the herbs you've just picked and and just being there and if you rush through you won't have time to do all this
1: How much time did you give yourself to do it?
2: Two and a half months so normally it takes about two months if you just walk through it and and even with taking breaks so a day or two in a week for breaks um and we had two and a half months so it we were able to slow down obviously that i did i had to for the camera but also if we wanted to stay another day somewhere or you know if if the weather wasn't that good so we could wait it out for a day or two
1: So we need to wrap up pretty soon. I wanted to ask you about the book that we've been looking at across the table here. Um,
2: Tell us a little bit about the book. It just came out? The book came out uh, earlier this year, and this was something that I knew I wanted to do as soon as I finished the trail. Or, not true, this was something that I knew I wanted to do as soon as I realized what I had in hand, what kind of material I had and for two years I've been planning it and dreaming of it and and kind of um, envisioning it and then finally I felt it was time and I started doing it I started working actively working on the book in February And at first, I thought I was going to crowdfund it. So I started going through the process of doing this and and advertising and reaching out and so forth. And then, really by chance, uh, someone made the connection with the publishing house, which really liked the idea, especially because this year is going to be Israel's 70th anniversary, so very fitting. And they picked it up, and once they did, it really went into the fast track of we had to make it happen by the end of the year um, which we did and it, you know the the most obvious cliches it's like giving labor it's you know it's so much work and it's it could be very painful at time especially when when you have to to leave stuff out that are super important to you um, and I did both, if you have a look at it, then you see that it's mainly pictures. My original idea that this was going to be a picture book. And um, through some back and forth with the publishing house and through other people, I realized that leaving it just as a picture book might not be the right thing to do. So there are not a lot of texts. There are short to medium length texts there or captions, and what I really wanted to do, and I'm I'm very happy that I was able to do it at the end, was to tell actually three stories throughout this book. So one is with the pictures, that if you don't want to read a word, and you only flip through the pictures, you actually go through the journey of walking north to south, Seeing all the different landscapes, seeing everything Israel has to offer, all the people, all the animals we've met on the way, the different landscapes, and so forth. If you do read the captions and you read throughout the book, every single caption, you read the story of my, through my personal eyes. So you read the story through my eyes of crossing the country, but also the journey i went through and how it affected me and what happened to me throughout the trail and lastly if you just pick up one page and you decide to randomly read a caption here and there you could still learn a lot you there's still some valuable information there are some anecdotes there's some really nice stuff that i was able to put there that don't necessarily doesn't necessarily have to do with me but just Learning about Israel, about the trail, about its history, and so forth. So, in these three aspects, I feel I was able to convey what I wanted. So this is, you know, I'm inspired to learn Hebrew so
1: that I can read the book. But right now, you don't really have to. In a few months,
2: we're translating this. Excellent,
1: great, and uh, we'll probably link to it do you know where people can find it now is it online or on
2: my website i'll send you the link
1: great and in three months we'll have english and hebrew
2: hopefully i would say uh, not necessarily three but in a few months we're going to start um translating and and then there would be an english version that will make it to the u.s and will be available thank god
0: then i can read it
2: (laughs) well we can all look at the pictures anyway. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Yes, I'm
0: like thank you.
1: likewise. Thank you guys. I, I feel soothed by this conversation. <laughs> like you're just a very soothing person and I feel like you'd be a great person to travel with and it's just a great if
2: to you hear come your stories. My, uh, this I this is a real invitation. If you come to hike, I'm going to do it. I'm going to let do it.
1: Let me do it, Dan. It might do just it. be like a 2-hour hike around Tel Aviv, but it's you know, good. Just we'll it. let me know. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much.